Well, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5. We're going to pick up in our study of Romans chapter 5 again today. And uh, we're making our way through that book. And, uh, you know, we've all heard the verse quoted, Romans 3.23. If you know it, say it with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's probably one of the more better known verses that many of us have heard if we've grown up in church at all over the years. We all know that we're born sinners, but have you ever asked why? Why is it that we're all sinners? Well, the answer is partly found in today's text in the first verse in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. It started with one man who chose to sin. This morning we're going to talk about the power of one man. We're going to look at two men who were both considered leaders, both who were starters of revolutions, so to speak. Men who made a difference, but for different reasons. Both of them stand out as the head of the human race. One is the man who tried to defy the commands of a holy God, and the other, a man who tried, not just tried, but paid the ultimate price for sin to give his life a sacrifice so that many could see life. Through one man, Adam, sin and death came. The sin affected all of mankind from that day forward. So we've been given an opportunity to share in the hope of Jesus Christ. The question I have for us as we get into this passage in Romans chapter 5 is, Have you ever shared that gift with somebody? Have you ever shared that gift with somebody who needs to know Jesus? Years ago, in fact, it was probably about 11 years ago, I candidated at a church. And uh, at this church, there was quite a question of whether or not I knew what salvation was. And you know how, well, maybe you don't know, but the way it works when a church calls a pastor, they have what they call a candidation, candidate-type session where the candidate goes before a big group of people and they can ask whatever they want for as long as they want, however they want. Really fun time, not. But I remember going to this church. Uh, in fact, they asked me four times to come. The three three times I said, no, I'm not interested. And it happened to be in Texas where... My wife is from, not too far from where she grew up, or where her parents lived. And I said, uh, listen, I've already told them no three times. If they call again, fourth time, we'll go. But I I had no question they weren't going to call. I no sooner got the words out of my mouth, we hopped out of our truck, walking into Walmart of all places, my phone rings, fourth phone call. It's this church, can you come? And I just said, I got one open Sunday on this day, let's go. So we went there. And as we sat around the room, they, for an hour straight, asked me what salvation was. And when they kind of exhausted that whole line of questioning, I mean, they beat all the way around the bush, got their way through the bush, chopped down the bush. They finally looked at me and says, well, Pastor Ken, do you have any questions for us? And I said, yeah, I do. I said, well, for the last hour, you've hammered me on what my definition of salvation is. 
I said, I think it's more important, not only important to know what it is, but what you do with it. There are 12 people in the room. And I said, so just out of curiosity, why don't we just start right here to my left and just let's kind of just go around the room and tell me when's the last time you shared the faith with somebody and you led someone to the Lord. Yeah, yeah, let's just start right here. Pin drop quiet. I said, did you all agree with my definition of salvation? I said, is there anything, anybody that disagreed with what I said salvation is? You know, I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. I had to repent of my sin, ask for forgiveness of my sin, put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, and call on Him to be my Savior, and put my complete trust in what He's done in the finished work of the cross. Did anybody disagree with it? No, 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 no. All, all right, so, so why don't we just start here? When's the last time you shared that with somebody? Yeah, yeah, you, go ahead and start. It was awkward. First person, well, uh, uh, Pastor Ken, I, I've never done that. Oh, okay, I appreciate your honesty. Next. Uh, well, I led my son to the Lord. I said, how old are you? He said, I think he said like 70, 71. I said, how old was your son when you led him to the Lord? Oh, he was like six or seven. Right, so you're telling me that it's been 50 years since you led someone to the Lord and shared your faith? Yes, sir. Next. Next. I went around the entire room of 12 people. Not one person. Even though they had hammered me for an hour on what the definition of salvation was. For an hour. Not one person in that room inside of 50 years had led someone to the Lord or shared their faith. And this was the group of spiritual leaders who was calling the next pastor of the church. You say, well, pastor, why am I sharing this story? Because... As God is my witness, I think it's true in a lot of churches. I think, as Andy Stanley says, we live with a certain amount of measurable guilt because we know that there are some things that we should do. And we feel bad that we don't do it, but not bad enough to change. We have a gift. We have a gift that was free to us. All we had to do was accept it. And unless I point the finger out, guess how many I have coming back? At least three. I don't do it enough. I'd love to say I do it more. But it's something we as a church need to work on in sharing our faith. We're going to get to come in full circle on this in just a few moments. But we need to understand what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary. He gave us the greatest gift known to man. Amen? Amen? Let's all agree on that.
we have the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive in the gift of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, right? Amen. But let's start off in our passage here in Romans chapter 5 and see what it has to say that we can learn from today. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the trespass of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come. I want to start just by giving a preliminary thought coming from verse 12. You know what all means in the Greek language? All! Isn't that amazing? All means all! Every one of us are sinners. No exceptions. From Adam's day forward, we are all sinners. But here's what we don't often think about. The consequence and the repercussions of sin. Let me just give you a few. And the Bible is full of them. And this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch. (coughs) But let me just give you five. And the first one is found in Isaiah 59, verse 2. It says, but your iniquities, which is another word in the Bible that means sin, says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. One of, the, one of the things that we need to realize is that sin separates us from God. Is that a big deal to you and I? It ought to be. How many of you enjoy answered prayer from God? How many of you want to know that when you pray that God is listening and is going to answer? Raise your hand. Yeah, I would think so. We all want God to not only hear our prayers, but to answer them. But you know, when there's sin in our life and we choose not to deal with it, and we don't, we just, ah, uh, it's not that big a deal. I mean, it's just, you know, just don't worry about it. God, God, God knows this is not, I mean, it's not murder. It's not killing somebody. It's not, I mean, it really, I mean, it's not even cheating or lying. It's just a little fib. It's just an exaggeration. A little white lie. It's not that big a deal. Okay. But your sin has separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not, what? Hear. Isaiah 59.2. Isaiah, I mean, Psalm 66.18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So it's as though I'm praying to God and saying, God, you know I have this great need and I need you to work. I need your Holy Spirit to empower me and to give me wisdom and direction. I need your, your Spirit, God, to, to just show me what to do in this decision i got to make. And, and it's God's like saying, wait a minute. You have sin in your life. You're choosing not to deal with it. And I don't even want to look upon you. He says, but your iniquities have separated you, separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. And God says, if you regard iniquity in your heart, God's Word says, it's like I'm not even going to watch you or look at you or listen to you until you're willing to deal with that sin. Is sin a big deal? Yeah, I'd say it is. Because sin separates us from God. Now, I have to also say that God is an awesome God and that He's a God who is merciful and gracious and forgiving. In fact, I shared this with early service and I've shared it years ago. I remember a statement that an old country preacher named Vance Hamner said. He said, if God judged sin today the way He did in the days of Ananias and Sapphira, every church would need a morgue in its basement. I'm thankful that God doesn't judge sin immediately. Because none of us would be here. I would not be here. I'm thankful that we serve a God who is patient and just. 
and long-suffering and forgiving. He's a God who, when we are confronted with our sin, He gives us a moment to think about it and to deal with it and to repent of it. But sin, make no mistake, separates us from God. That ought to be a big deal to us. That it's not just a little white lie. It's not just a little fib. It's not just a choice to steal something that's not yours. It's not just a little idea that we can do whatever we want and it's not that big deal. It is a big deal according to God's Word. According to John chapter 8 and verse 34, there's another consequence that stands out to me. And once again, this is not an exhaustive list by any means. Just a few of them that, I, that stood out to me. He says in John chapter 8 verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you that everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Sin produces slavery. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be said of me that I'm a slave to sin. There's a phrase that I heard years ago, and I don't know who the original author of it is, but I do know that it's a phrase that I'll never forget. It says, sin will take you farther than you meant to go, keep you longer than you meant to stay, and it will cost you more than you meant to pay. Sin produces slavery. Over and over, we see throughout the history of time and even in our own day and age, how many times people will embark on, a, on an area of sin and they become enslaved to it. I'm sure if you sit down with an alcoholic, somebody who cannot go a day without drinking, and, they, and, and ask them, hey, did you know that it was going to happen this way? Well, no, I didn't know. How can you? You talk to a person who's a drug addict, who can't go a day without their daily fix, or can't go several hours without their fix. If they knew that if they took their first drag, or their first pill, or their first bit of you know, illicit drugs, that it was going to have that effect on them, they'd probably say, no, I didn't know. I wouldn't have done it. If I'd known it was going to do this, I may not have ever started it. Why? Because sin enslaves. Yes, a person who looked at the first picture of pornography, if they knew they were going to get addicted to it, probably not. Probably had no clue that it was going to captivate their mind and take control of their actions. Because sin enslaves. And John 8.34 says, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And but for the grace of God and for the power of God working in you, you'll keep doing it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, quench not the Spirit of God. Why? Because sin squelches the Spirit from working. Sin hinders the Spirit. You can say no to the Spirit so many times that, it, that your conscience becomes seared and the Holy Spirit will, will eventually stop working in you. But to realize it is a big deal. It's not just a little fib. It's not a little white lie. It's not an exaggeration. It's not a little choice to steal a pen or, or take something from the store. It, it's a sin. And sin separates. Sin enslaves. Sin squelches the Spirit of God. And if you keep doing it, the Spirit of God will say, hey, you know what, you're choosing to do this. In Psalm 51, you know the story. David, as he was sinful with Bathsheba and other areas, his prayer to God in verse 12 he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit <laughs> you know what sin does? it steals our joy 
it steals our joy. When someone is enslaved by sin, their joy is robbed. The person who's addicted to drugs, they, all they can think about is the next fix. The person who's addicted to alcohol, they can't, they can't do anything but think about the next time they're going to get another drink. Sin enslaves, but then it steals your joy. And according to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is what? Death. Eternal separation for all eternal, or from God for all eternity. Sin separates. Sin leads to slavery. Sin leads to a squelched spirit. Sin steals our joy. And sin leads to spiritual death apart from the grace of God. And that's one of the messages he brings out in this next text. Look at verse 13 with, with me in Romans chapter 5 just for a moment. It says, verse 13, it says, for Until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. The word imputed has the idea of being attributed or accredited to or charged to one's account. Until the law came, there was no law to break. Well, what, what sense does that make? Well, you can't sin if there's no law that says you can't do it but here's what he says in verse 14 nevertheless death reigned from adam until moses even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the trespass of adam who is the type of him who was to come he uses the word transgression that is a word for sin but then he uses the word trespass and as a hunter as i've said before i hate that word because all the big deer are on the other property line but when it comes to our walk with Jesus, he says, you are born as a trespasser. You're born having crossed the line that you should not cross. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't have, you didn't have to choose to. Even if you didn't willfully sin, you were born there. You were born in sin. You were born in trespasses. And just as Adam's one act brought sin and death to all, Christ's one act brought life and salvation to all who are in Him. I love that verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the trespasses of Adam, who is the type of Him to come. But the gracious gift is not like the transgression. He says these are two different things. One brought transgression. One brought the gift. And they're two totally different things. Amen? Thankfully, they are two different things. Adam's one act brought sin and death to all. Jesus' one act brought salvation and life to all who are in Him. What are the contrasts? You see that in verse 15. But the gracious gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The first difference is that Adam's brought a transgression. Jesus brought a gift. Secondly, because of Adam's transgression, many have died. Because of Jesus' gift, many live. Why? Because His grace abounds to many. Isn't that awesome? We don't have to stay stuck in a rut going towards eternal death away from Jesus. He says, I've come to give grace. And in verse 16, I love this. It says, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the gracious gift arose from the 
many transgressions, resulting in justification. So the gift did not come through the sinner. It came through the Savior. Isn't that awesome? The Savior came to abolish sin. That is the great gift. And the gift brought justification unlike judgment from the transgression. Say, man, there's a bunch of tongue-twisting words here. Yes, but it's really very simple. One came and it resulted in death. One came and it resulted in life. And he says, this gift is not like this gift. They're two totally different things. One is selfishly motivated. The other one was selflessly motivated to the world. In verse 17, he says, For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Over and over, he says, death reigns by one because of the transgression. Abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one also, Jesus Christ. Talk about how one can make a difference. Over and over, I'm often awestruck how one person makes a difference. Here's two people, both considered the head of the human race. One for sinfulness that he chose to obey and defy the righteous commands of God. And the other one, in obedience to God, gave his life a ransom. He chose to lay down his life and to give us the gift of life. One person makes a huge difference. So, getting back to where I started just for a moment this morning, which kind of a one are you? And there's several applications of that. Are you one who will remain in sin and spend eternity apart from Christ? Or are you one who will accept the gift of Jesus Christ and spend eternity with Jesus in heaven forever? Are you one who will reject the gift? Or are you one who will receive the gift and give the gift? You see, every one of us, getting back to where we started from, has the ability to give the gift. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you have the gift. And it's a gift that you cannot wear out. It's not a gift that will run out. It's a gift that will keep on giving for all eternity. He says, verse 18, So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. The power of one, it says through multiple sins? No. Because he kept doing it over and over and over, all mankind is affected? No. He says, so then as through one transgression. It only took one sin to make every one in human race sinners. No one can say, well, I'm without sin. No one can say, I've never done wrong. No one can say, I'm perfectly righteous and holy. No one. He says, so as then through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. 
You see how the one affected all? See, by one sin, all men were affected. Also, by one act of righteousness, that's Jesus Christ's death on the cross, all men will be affected for eternity as well. It says this justification of life to all men. So even though we're born sinners, he says you can be justified, as we've already talked about in the previous weeks. Remember what justified is? Just as if I'd never sinned. Is that not awesome? He takes the very fact that we are born in trespasses, cross the line from a holy God in our eternal estate, headed for hell, and He says, I'll give you a bridge over to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Verse 19 says, For as, though, as, for as through the one man's disobedience, speaking of Adam, the many were appointed sinners... Even so, through the obedience of the one, Jesus, the many will be appointed righteous. Now think about this. Sinful, yet righteous. Because of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? That's incredible. Now here's what he says in verse 20 and 21. I love this. Now the law came in so that the transgression would increase. Whoa, wait a minute. Stop the cart just for a moment. Let me read that again. Now the law came in so that the transgression would increase. You mean he wanted sin to increase? Is that what he's saying here? No, let me rephrase it. You see, remember back in verse 13? For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed because there was no law. He said, what are we saying here? The law came in, and all of a sudden, now we realize that there are things that we should do and things that we should not do. And what tells us what we should not do? The law. And now the law makes it very explicit what we should not be doing. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not kill, and a whole bunch of other commands. And not just the Ten Commandments, but many commands. Now because of the commands and the law, we know that there are some things that we shouldn't do. But before there was a law, well, that was debatable. But but now that there's these rules, wow, I broke that one and that one and that one and that one and that one. And boy, all of a sudden now it looks like sin has what? Increased. Did it really increase? No. Now I just know that I'm doing it. Now the law came in so that the transgression would increase. No, it revealed that you could not keep it. And it showed you all the areas that you fail in. And now all of a sudden we see all the sin that is present. But, here's the but that is awesome. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Tell me that ain't cool. Tell me that's not awesome. That where sin is present, God's grace is even more present. Where sin abounds, God's grace abounds much more. Think about that for a moment. Who of us is perfect? Raise your hand. No, no, nobody's raising your hand. Why? Because we've experienced God's grace. We're all sinners. And he says, if you'll 
Repent of your sin. Confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what that is? That's God's grace pouring over us. We don't deserve it, but He gives it. I love that song that Nick sings. Grace on top of grace. We don't deserve it. We're not worthy of it. But He just bestows it upon us. That's who God is. Yes, we are sinners. And where our sin abounds, His grace much more abounds. The law reveals the areas that we are not perfect in. The, the law reveals how just imperfect we really are in the areas of sinful struggle that we deal with day in and day out. The law is there, according to the book of Galatians, chapter 2, to be a schoolmaster to bring us to grace. These things show us how imperfect we are. But grace reaches out over and is poured over us because apart from His grace, we have nothing. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. You can't do anything. You look at yourself as a sinner, that's exactly what you are. That's exactly what I am. A sinner in need of a Savior. And I can do nothing to rid myself of my own sin. But the good news is that Jesus says where your sin abounds, grace much more abounds. You know what that tells me? That God is a God of 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 27th, 109th, 300,000s chances. Verse 21. He says, So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life. He says, Yes, sin will send you to hell. But, because of God's grace, <laughs> you have the opportunity to spend eternity in heaven. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord, it says in verse 21. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's where I want to come back to where we started with. Most of us in this room, we know what it, what it means to know Jesus. Most of us, I don't know every one of you, but I know a lot of you, I know a lot of you have made a profession of faith where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, where you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse your heart, and you trusted in Him and Him alone to save you. But sadly, for some of you, that's where it stopped. It ought to be a starting point to a relationship, not a stopping point because you're in. And if we're not careful, we'll be like that pulpit committee sitting around a table saying, well, what is salvation? Rather than doing something with it. One of the guys wanted to justify what he was, what was happening in the room that night. And I looked at him and I said, you know, salvation is really a simple thing. In fact, God's Word says we can come to Him in childlike faith. And I don't know if Jake will remember this, but I remember that very week before that meeting in Texas, Jake shared what salvation was to our next-door neighbor boy. And Jake asked him the question, do you want to get saved? 
And the boy looked at him and said, yeah, I do. And he led him to Jesus. It's amazing that a little child can share what it means to know Jesus to another child and they can understand it. I know this this morning. You know people that I don't know. You're going to reach people that I will never reach. But what are we doing with our sphere of influence that God has given to us? Are we taking what God has given to us, that great gift, and sharing it with others? See, does, is it really that big a deal? Yeah, it is. Verse 6, or chapter 6, verse 1. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? I mean, he says where sin is, there, where sin is present, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. His sin is covered by the grace of God, and it's, it's, he keeps heaping it on grace on top of grace. But do we continue in sin just because His grace is going to be heaped on over and over and over again? Verse 2 answers the question. May it never be. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? You say, well, Pastor, am I still in sin if I know Jesus? Yes, if you're continuing in sin. I only know one sinless man. His name was Jesus. In fact, James reminds us that him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it is what? Sin. Now, I don't want any confessionals here this morning. I don't want anybody raising your hands, but how many of you know some good things that you should be doing that you ain't doing? I'll just be honest. Two hands and a foot. I'm guilty. But my desire is that I want to be under the grace and walking in obedience than to be under the grace abusing it and continuing in sin. If you know Jesus, you have a story. You've received the gift. And you should be sharing that with others. Well, next week we're going to get in more chapter 6. But here's the question I want to leave you with this morning. What are you doing with the grace that Jesus has given you? gift of salvation and the daily grace that He gives you. Why? Because I know we're all sinners. And as much as we try, I I don't know about you, but it only takes me like a millisecond to sin. I mean, just cross me just for two seconds and wrong thoughts come. Wrong attitudes come. Millisecond. I mean, I'm, I'm good at it. Maybe you can relate. And I catch myself in constant need of the grace because I'm constantly trying to overcome my sin. And we can through the blood of Jesus Christ. But you have a gift. You see, I can be like the one, Adam, who chose to defy God and affected the entire human race and continue in that sin. Or I can be like the one who came to 
shed his blood to offer forgiveness of sin that we might have hope for all eternity through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you know him, I trust that you want to be like the second one, like Jesus, who is constantly living to serve others and to give the gift that he's given to us to others. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, there's many in this room who no doubt have put their faith and trust in you. No doubt they realize that they're sinners. And it's only through the blood of Jesus that they have forgiveness and have experienced the grace on top of grace. Because your word says that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And I do pray, Father, that we would understand the difference and what it means that sin does have a lasting effect on us. That sin separates from the face of God, from the ears of God, when we don't deal with it. Sin enslaves. No one who commits sin expects to do it forever. They think they can control it. They think they can stop any time. And yet, they're enslaved by it. Sin squelches the Spirit. Sin steals our joy. And sin, undealt with, will lead to spiritual death, eternal separation. God, I pray that we would have a right perspective of Your grace. And that it's there for us. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just a simple question as we do each and every week, an opportunity to respond to what we've heard this morning. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you say, Pastor Ken, um, I realize that I'm a sinner. I'm kind of, if I'm, not, if I'm honest with myself, I'm kind of like the first Adam. I continue in my sin. I defy the commands of a holy God. I just continue to do what I want. But God has convicted me this morning. There's some things that need to change. I need to be like the second one who shed his blood and offered forgiveness and grace. See, here this morning, I need that. Say, Pastor Ken, pray for me. I need that grace this morning. I need forgiveness. There's things I'm dealing with, and I need to get that right before the Lord. Pray for me. Anyone like that this morning? Yes. What are you doing with the gift? Second question. If you've received the gift of Jesus Christ, what are you doing with that gift? It's the most expensive, treasurable gift that any of us could ever receive. If you have it, don't just stick it in a safe and spin the dial. Share it. Say, Pastor Ken, God's challenged me this morning. I need to share the gift more. Would you pray for me, anyone like that this morning? Yes, yes, yes. Can I just challenge those of you who have raised your hand, your heart, to just take a moment and pray. To him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, it's sin. The very sin that God's grace is sufficient for. But you must repent of it. Confess it before God. Let's take a moment and say, Lord, forgive me. 
just tell him. He knows already anyway. You can't hide anything from God. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. And Lord, you know that there are many things that we struggle with. But I pray that our desire would be that we be sinless before you to the best of our ability. Lord, thank you for your grace. Lord, we know we've experienced your grace because sin abounds. For too many of us, it abounds too much. But we know that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Thank you for being a God of grace and mercy. Be with each one who raised their hand towards you this morning, Lord, in their heart. Lord, that you may allow them to see victory over sinfulness. And Lord, resting in the grace that you've given to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.